season. Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. Yeah, peace, peace, Jesus, that's my creed. Michael B. Yeah, he bossing. Don't be a clown, but you're not it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 14. If or we're starting a new sermon series this week, looking at the foundational DNA of who we are as a church. And what I mean by that is we have a vision for, for, for Cornerstone Foursquare Church Airdrie. As, as a campus, we have a vision for our church. We talk about his family we go, and we talk about know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. We have a vision for that, and, and we've talked about that in the past, and we'll talk about that again in the future. And we've talked about Cornerstone as a whole. That we follow Jesus together, whether we're in Airdrie or Calgary or whatever, we follow Jesus together. But underneath who we are as, as a local body, a local church, a local body of believers, something that undergirds all of that as a church is that we, we are part of, of what we call a movement. Because we don't want to call it a denomination for some reason. So, so we call it, we say the Foursquare Church is not a movement, or not a denomination, it's a movement. Now, legally, it's a denomination. But, but we belong to the Foursquare Church, the Foursquare Gospel Church of Canada. And the vision of Foursquare consists of, anybody want to guess how many things? Four. Now, make say, it would be weird if it was five. <laughs> We're the Foursquare Church and we camp on five things. Foursquare Church. And, and the, 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 the reference for that is, is out of Revelation and it has to do with strength and structure and, and all of these kinds of things. But the four things that we as a denomination are centered around are really four parts of the same thing. They're not just four ideas or principles that we've adopted or, or what church should be or, or those kinds of things. But as the denomination from the very top down, as, as, as a denomination that spreads through everything, we are about one thing expressed in four different characteristics. The, the four square church, and by extension us, Cornerstone Church, is centered around this one thing. Jesus Christ. And each of those four things is, is really simply about who Jesus is to us. Now, for those of you who, who are newer to our church you, you, or have been here for a while, maybe you don't know, um, we have these four symbols on the back wall of our church. And, and you may have wondered what those are all about. What does that mean? We have a red cross. Now, you may be able to, to guess that one. You know, some intuitive, if you've been a believer for a long time, cross. What does cross mean? I can kind of connect the dots on that one. Next, a yellow bird. Okay. That's a little different. Then a blue cup. Right, they're getting more abstract. And then the last one, a purple crown. Hey, maybe there's a couple, but realistically, you know, the cross one, we can kind of guess. But what does Jesus have to do with a bird and a cup and a crown? 
Well, these four symbols represent the, the, the four pillars of the four square denomination. The red cross, Jesus Christ, the Savior. He, he died on the cross to save us from our sins. A yellow bird, well, actually it's a dove. And what it means is Jesus Christ, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. A blue cup is Jesus Christ, the healer. And the purple crown is Jesus Christ, the soon and coming king. And that's that for our church, as, as at the core of our church, at the core of our denomination, this is what we're all about. We are about Jesus Christ and pointing people to Jesus. That we don't add in a bunch of extra ideas of what, what it means to be a part of our denomination. At the fundamental core of who we are as a church is Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at each of these four symbols, the four squares of the four square church, and what it means for us to discover that these things are at the core of who we are as a church, and then by extension, what does that mean for us as a person? That, okay, as a church, we recognize Jesus Christ is the Savior, but what does that mean for, for me, that Jesus Christ is the Savior? And so this week, we're going to talk about the first square. The, the Red Cross, Jesus Christ, the Savior. God saw that people needed saving. So he sent a Savior, his Son. We needed a Savior. We rely on a Savior. And my hope for us, as, as we journey through these, these next couple of weeks, is that your view of Jesus and, and who he is to you would be refreshed and renewed. Even a word like Savior. I pray that over us today that we would discover again what this word means for us. It can be so commonplace in, in our speech at church and in our songs. We sing, oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? And we, we sing it, and it's not wrong at all to sing it, but it can become such a thing that we say and the stories of, of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection can become so common that it can almost lose, lose its power or its significance in our lives because we're confronted with it so much that it just sort of becomes, yes, Jesus is my Savior, but, but I think we need a fresh view, a fresh reminder of what it means that Jesus Christ is my Savior. That I was someone who needed saving and God sent his son to save me. The idea that Jesus is the savior can be some, become so common. But we need to, to become refreshed and renewed and reinvigorated and reintroduced to the idea that it's a miracle. It's not this thing that we just know this is a miracle from heaven that was sent for you and for me. So, so here's my question for you. Here, here's here's the, the ground that I want to start with. When was the last time for you in your life that you were just at a loss for what God has done for you? When was the last time the knowledge of what God did for you just wrecked you? When was the last time you just brought to your knees because of what Jesus did for you? I know for me, it can be a while where we just get comfortable 
We can become so familiar with the story, with the knowledge of what Jesus did for me and for us. And we can look at the urgency and the power of the cross. And because it's been a while and we know and it's sort of okay, but what else do you got? We get it. We're there. We're on board. Now, now what else can we talk about? We get it. But I think for us today, God wants to give us a fresh reminder of who Jesus is for us and have us see with fresh eyes or perhaps maybe for the first time what it means for us that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And and Jesus being the Savior was at the core of who he was from the very beginning. When, When we look at the divine announcement that Jesus was going to be born, Jordan began our time today by saying, I'm going to read you some scripture that we typically associate with Christmas. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to read you some scripture. Hey, Christmas must be in the air. I mean, I know it's warm, but we're getting closer, I guess. So, so we're going to start looking at Christmas today, September 20th, I guess. But when, when Jesus was going to be born, when, when an angel appears to Joseph, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, and we're going to get to Matthew 14 in just a minute. But it says this, after he had pondered these things, this is Joseph pondering the fact that, that his fiance is pregnant before the wedding with a baby that is decidedly not his. That she makes this incredible claim to be God's. After he's pondering these things, I think ponder is such a nice word there. I imagine he probably hasn't slept in forever. Like this, this is the kind of news that completely wrecks your future and everything. That, that my fiance is pregnant, it is decidedly not mine, and she's claiming it to be God's? After Joseph had been pondering these things, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to embrace Mary as your wife, for the one conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the the name in Hebrew means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. From his very beginning, from his very introduction, Jesus is the Savior. You're going to, Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to be a Savior. God said, this is my son, your Savior. In the Old Testament, Joshua was a Savior. Gideon was a Savior. David was a Savior. And at this point in history, the Jewish people were looking for another one of these Saviors to save them from the rule of the Romans. But it wasn't for something as simple or basic as that that God was sending his son. And I say that kind of joking because Roman occupation was a big deal. It's not simple, and it's not basic, and it's not unnecessary, and it's not trite. It was a real thing. But also, seriously, because when you compare the Roman occupation with our sin, Jesus wasn't so interested, or God wasn't just so interested in something as, as simple as the Roman occupation when there's this much bigger idea of sin that we need to deal with. Jesus was sent to save his people 
from their sins. From the very beginning, God makes it clear. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is here to save us. Now, to help us see what this means for us, I want to go back and look at a scripture that actually Pastor Matt talked about a couple of weeks ago. The, the story of a time that a man walked on water. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to go back and look at this because I think Matt didn't do a very good job. That, that in sort of my sermon planning as I was listening to him preach, I thought, you know, I need to go back and, and recover that text because I need to, to redeem what Matt had to say. It, not that at all. Pastor Matt did a wonderful job. But there's a picture that I, that I, I want to paint for you. I want to show you this morning of, of what it means that Jesus Christ is our Savior. So, so Matthew 14. The, the disciples are sailing across a lake like Jesus asked them to. And Jesus, because Jesus wanted some time to be alone and with his father and to pray. And so he sends his disciples out onto the lake and, and essentially says, I'll catch up with you on the other side. I'll, I'll catch up with you. And then just before the sun is about to come up, in verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and as they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus says to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. The disciples are, are out sailing in their boat. And they see this, this figure walking on the water. And they don't know at this point in the story. And, and probably as you read through the Gospels, you never, they never really come to a place. But, but at this point, surely they did not understand who and what Jesus really was. They had never seen him or anyone else, for that matter, just walking on water. And, and so their brains do what their brains need to do in order to make sense of this situation. The only thing that makes sense is it must be a ghost. And so they begin to freak out because what else is walking on the water in the middle of the night in the dark? Now, we know that it wasn't a ghost. We can read and go, oh, silly disciples. But there are some moments where our brains are not as, as calibrated to the things of God as we would like to think that they are. And, and as painfully obvious as it is for us to read back in these stories and go, disciples, how did you know that was not Jesus? Unfortunately, I think in our story, there's a number of times where, where we've looked at somebody walking on the water and said, oh, it must be a ghost. Or we've got a message from God and we think, it must be that burrito I ate for dinner last night. It's not sitting very well. Or some, where, where we have God speak to us and we write it off as something else because we don't know what to do with this or maybe we don't want to do anything with it. But the story, but we come to this place where the disciples have, Jesus says, it's me. But then the story takes another, or a very unexpected turn. Verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Tell me to come out to you on the water. If it's really you, if it's not a ghost, and it's an interesting problem that Peter presents itself, because I don't know the honesty level of ghosts. But if it really was a ghost, what would stop the ghost from saying, yeah, sure, come on, Peter, hop on out. But Peter says, God, if it's really you, invite me out to walk on the water. So verse 29, come, he said, Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. He walked on water. And came towards Jesus. Somehow, miraculously, 
Peter begins to walk on water until it dawns on Peter what he's doing. But verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He steps out onto the boat in faith and he begins to walk, but then suddenly he realizes what he's doing. And he looks around, I'm walking on water. And he begins to see all the reasons why he can't walk on water. And he begins to sink. Do you know why Peter couldn't walk on the water when Peter realized he was walking on water? Do you know why? Because Peter can't walk on water. Peter can't walk. He was walking on water, but when he realized, I'm walking on water, suddenly he's not walking on water anymore. Because it was never Peter that was walking on water. It was Jesus allowing Peter to walk on water. But the moment Peter realizes, this is what I'm doing, this is the experience I'm having, it's gone. Because no matter how hard Peter tries to be brave, no matter how hard he tries to confront his fear, no matter how much he wants to walk on water, he can't. Peter can't walk on water. And suddenly... He wasn't walking on water anymore. Peter calls out out of the boat and begins to to walk, and he sees the waves and the wind and all the other stuff that goes on with being on a lake, and, and oh yeah, somehow he's walking on this water, and Peter's mind begins to realize, you can't do this. I can't do this. You can't possibly be walking on the water. What is happening right now? And he begins to sink. Now I want to draw a parallel for you out of this story for steps out of the boat is like the moment where our lives step out of the boat. We're, we're, the moment you're born, the moment you begin is, is like Peter stepping out of the boat. And we do our best to keep our heads above the water, to, to keep ourselves above sin, that, that we do our best to try and do what's right. Most of us if not all of us, were taught from a very young age principles of ethics and integrity, right from wrong, morals. And we do our best to, to live according to those rules, to do what's right. But as we start to become more aware of the world around us, and we become more aware of our ability to choose, and we become more aware of our ability to make a choice that gives me what I want now, or, or can perhaps delay consequences for something I've done, all I need to do is, is just say something that's not true, and then I won't get in trouble. Huh. Well, let's try that and see if that works. But it doesn't take long before we begin to realize that the world around us is is full of opportunities to to do things that, that maybe aren't right, but maybe work to my advantage somehow. And sin begins to take a hold of our lives, and we begin to sink. And do you know why? Once we realize that what was going on that we couldn't walk on the water anymore? Do you know why once we realized that, that we were walking on water, that, that we were in a place and that, that there's another thing that can be taking place and we're trying to walk on the water, but we can't walk on the water. Do you know why we can't walk on the water? Because we can't walk on water. We cannot keep ourselves above and apart from sin. You cannot do that. 
You do not have the ability to walk above sin. You don't have the ability to walk on water. In and of yourselves, you will sin. We begin to sink and we begin to fall into sin. Peter couldn't walk on water and, and neither can we. And, and in our story from the text, Peter begins to drown. The logical conclusion of trying to walk on water is that you will drown. The logical conclusion that if you were to go to, to Nose Creek Park or, or wherever someplace where there's a body of water deep enough and, and you stepped out of the boat, the logical conclusion of that is that you're going to drown. That was how this was going to end. Peter can't walk on water. And if you and I were to try that, that's how the story would end for us. And that's how it was going to end for us when we tried to keep ourselves above sin. When we tried to live a moral and upright life. When we tried to live right on our own, you can't walk on water. I can't walk on water. And so we try and we do our best to manifest our own good self-righteousness. But we start sinking. And we start sinking. And before you know it, we're fighting for our lives. We're drowning. We are going to die. And on our own, we're going to sink into sin. We're going to drown, and we are going to die in sin. We were dead. Some verses that tell us this. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2, a couple verses later. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. And in case you were wondering if, if the dead here is some kind of metaphor or something for death, that, well, it doesn't really mean dead, it means something else. Surely it's a word picture, right? It's got to be. The word that's used in all of these verses is the word necros. And it means dead. Like, not metaphorically. The word literally means dead. What lacks life? A dead body. And, and this is what scripture will say that we are because of sin. We're dead. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it ourselves. We are going to die. Peter, when he tried to walk on water, was going to die. We, when we try to walk on our own goodness, we were dead. But if you haven't read verse 31 yet, if you weren't here when Matt preached on it and you haven't looked yet, Peter doesn't die. Peter doesn't die here. The rest, or I guess it's the rest of verse 30. It says, but when he, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And that's where we pause. But he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus does just that. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. The, the sum of all of Peter's efforts were going to be Peter's death. He was going to drown. But he cries out to God, and God hears him, and God answers him, and God saves him. Now, now the story goes on to deal with specifically circumstances surrounding Peter and his walking on the water. But for us, we were dead. We had no hope, no future, 
no chance. We were dead, dead to our sins. We were necros. We needed to be saved. And just like Peter, we called out to God. And he heard us. And God answers us. And God saves us. He reaches down into our story just like he did with Peter. He reaches down into the storms and the water of sin and life and he reaches his arm down and he pulls us out. Pulls us up. Up out of death and back into life. All people everywhere need saving because they're drowning in sin. I, I was drowning in sin. This is, this is my testimony. This is your testimony. We were dead. We needed someone to save us. We experienced that we cannot do this ourselves. And just as he, Jesus, was, was there for Peter, he was there. He is there for us. From his very birth, Jesus came to save. That was what the angel said was at the core of why he came. Jesus himself would echo, echo this, this, this purpose of why he came when he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He didn't just come to seek and convict. He didn't just come to seek and point. He didn't just come to seek and condemn. His mission wasn't just to find the lost. His, vision, his mission was to do something about the lost. Jesus is the Son of God. And when we call on him, he will save us. When we cry out to him, Lord, save me, just like Peter did, he will be there for us immediately, just like he was for Peter. He will reach out to you. He will keep you safe. I don't want to live in the shallows. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie, follow us on Twitter at csairdrie, and on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family, we go. There's no life without you in it. I want all of you take all of me. I want all of you take all of me.
the deep If you're not in it, I don't want it I want all of you, take all of me I want all of you, take all of me